what I want to teach tonight, I want to teach about Joseph, the, the, the husband of Mary and the natural father to our Savior. And if I'm going to call it anything, I'm going to call this Christmas Eve sermon, One Good Man. And uh, we don't hear too many sermons about Joseph, and I'm not quite sure why, because it just takes a little bit of digging, and all of a sudden you find a wealth of information on Joseph, and certainly he is a role model. He is one of the few good fathers in the entire Bible. We, we don't find a lot of good Bibles, uh, fathers in the Bible, but Joseph is certainly one of them. Asaph is one. Samson's father was a good father. There's actually, in the field of theology, there's a study, there's a field of theology called Josephology, where part of theology is studying the life of Joseph as best we can from the scriptures, and even building a doctrine about Joseph, just like there's angelology, the study of angels, there's soteriology, the study of salvation, eschatology, the study of end time events. Uh, but this will be a little bit of an introduction to Josephology. Joseph was of the house of David, of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible tells us many things about him that we're going to look at in somewhat of a depth tonight. But I, I'm going to tell you a few things here right off the bat. Uh, we don't see him in the life of Jesus Christ after the age of 12. In fact, the last time we see Joseph is when he is taking his family to Jerusalem for the Passover. And we, we're told in Luke's gospel at that point that Jesus was 12 years old. This is the last time the Bible records any interaction of Joseph with his son Jesus. Many, I think most theologians, most traditions within the Christian faith, they all believe Joseph died before Christ's earthly ministry. And they all agree Joseph was much older than Mary, maybe as much as 50 years older than Mary which is a little odd for us in our Western culture of today, where you know, our culture has evolved. You fall in love with your high school sweetheart and you marry her. And so most folks are getting married at the same age. But that was not so 2,000 years ago in Middle Eastern culture. It's not that way in many cultures around the world today for what that's worth. We know he had to be young enough to have a active carpentry business because he was known as a carpenter. But the Bible gives us four evidences that Jesus Christ was dead before Jesus, uh, excuse me, that uh, Joseph was dead before Jesus Christ ever became a minister and walked into the fullness of his ministry. The first one, if you want to turn, is in Luke chapter 2. The first evidence, I'll give you four evidences that Joseph was dead before Jesus Christ went to his earthly ministry, which means he would have been dead before Jesus was 30. Luke chapter 2, we find that after the time of purification, which was a Levitical law for women after they had their babies, after seven days of purification, the boys, the baby boys were then circumcised the eighth day, seven days of purification for a woman due to everything that happened during childbirth. And the blood was always reverenced and, and there are purification laws under the Levitical and, and Moses, law of Moses to teach the children of Israel to value and appreciate blood. A lot of blood involved in childbirth. Seven days of purification. On the eighth day, the father and the mother would take the boy to be circumcised as a covenant token. And then again, more shedding of blood. Here we have after this, then there's a 33 more days after that, whereby the woman is to remain in solitude because if you have had children, you know your body as a woman continues to bleed for several weeks. And again, all of this was done in accordance with biology, 
but to teach the children of Israel to reverence blood because it was what the redemption was going to be based upon in the day of Christ. So we're now in the temple and they're coming to offer this offering and Simeon the prophet who the Spirit of God told he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He begins to prophesy. And in verse 33, it says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, about Jesus Christ. And Simeon blessed them, that's Joseph and Mary, about a month after Christ's birth. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, the mother, Behold, this child is set for the rise excuse me, the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. He did not say that to Jesus, or just, excuse me, to Joseph. He said that to Mary. And this is one line of evidence theologians believe indicates it was almost a prophecy that Joseph would not see the Lord's ministry. Mary's heart would be pierced through to see her son crucified and tortured. Certainly a father would feel the pain if his son were to be tortured that way. But this was a prophecy from Mary indicating Joseph would not be there to see it. The second line of evidence from the scriptures that Joseph was dead is that in all the references to Mary interacting around the Lord's ministry, it's Mary and his brothers. Nothing is ever said of Joseph. The third line of evidence is that when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he sees John, the revelator, the young disciple, he says to Mary and to John, he says, he says, mother, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. And he, he, he commends the caretaking of his mother to the youngest disciple, not to the husband because the husband is no longer present. There's your third line of evidence. It's also interesting to note, everybody, even the rabbinical, the Jewish history, believes that Mary would have been a young teenager when she gave birth to Jesus. So she would have only been maybe 13 or 14 years older than her son. Which, for those of you that are church family, I was thinking about that today, that would be basically Miss Kimberly King being the mother of Luke Eldridge. That's how close in age it would have been. 13, 14 years apart. You know, in our modern society, you're typically 20, 25 years older than your children. I'm 41 years older than our newest child. And if we have more kids, uh, I'll be even older than that. Culture and family and relationships evolve in that regard. But he commends the care of his mother, not to his dad, because his dad's not there, but to his youngest disciple. And then the fourth line of evidence from the scriptures is that uh, when the body is taken down, it is given to Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who was of high nobility. And he took it, cared for it, and put it in a tomb he had purchased. And according to Jewish tradition, that would have been his daddy's job, had his daddy been present. So there's four evidences there that Joseph was not present for the death, burial, and resurrection, or the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, his adopted son. He's not his biological son. We don't want to diminish it and say his stepson. We'll say his adopted son. And so he probably passed away of natural causes. He would have been, if he was 50 years older than Jesus, then he might have been 80 by the time Jesus began his earthly ministry. And we know that first century Palestine was a pretty rough place. So I want to talk to us about this man of honor, Joseph the man of honor, and again, if you have your Bible and you can read it, 
I'm going to read to you from Matthew and Luke. We're going to flip back and forth. And I want to give you a couple things about Joseph this evening. And it would be a good role model for us as men, us as husbands, maybe our young men who aren't married or have children yet. Hear what the Bible says about Joseph, this man, because there's something about him. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, that's the term we'd say for engagement, but in Jewish culture, the engagement was just as legally binding as marriage. It was a marriage before the marriage. It's a hard concept for us as Westerners. We have an engagement, which has really nothing but an engagement ring to tie us. But in their culture, the espousal was just as legally binding as marriage itself. And therefore, to break off an espousal, you would need a bill of divorcement as well. And you had that permission if she had been unfaithful and had been found to be not a virgin or had been found committing adultery. Uh, under the Jewish law, adultery would have been cheating on your fiance while you've been espoused. So there's kind of two stages to marriage in Jewish culture. So while they were espoused, she was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, that is, were married and had intimacy, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So here's a problem. She's pregnant. They have been holy and honored God, and Joseph knows it's not his. We know this story. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a holy man, a reverential man, a godly man, they all mean the same thing. The word just in the Bible means he keeps God's word because he fears God. He, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, he doesn't want to humiliate this woman. He's espoused to her because he loves her dearly. But the dishonor of this is overwhelming in Jewish culture. He doesn't want to publicly mock her or ridicule her. He was mindful to put her away, or that's the Greek lingo for divorce. He wants to divorce her privately. That's what he intends to do. He's going to do it in accordance with the word of God. He's going, he has a legal right to do this, and he won't be sinning. But while he thought on these things, and notice he's not hasty. Sometimes as men, we get in haste. We, we rush, and we do things without meditating on it without doing the word of God. We don't even give God the opportunity to interject what he wants when we have had our pride violated. While he yet thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Notice that one of his motivations was fear. Not at the angel. This is a dream. He's afraid of reputation being soiled. He's afraid of what it's going to look like, that he's got this young virgin as, a as a, an espousal, and yet she's pregnant. His big motivation here is fear. And the angel says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary your wife. Don't be afraid to do what you've determined to do. Now, here's what strikes me. I was, I was thinking about this. The Holy Ghost, God Almighty, has selected Mary to be the earthly mother of, of our Savior. The Word is going to be made flesh. It's going to be conceived of a woman. It's going to come through the birth canal. It's going to be circumcised. The Word flesh is going to have its umbilical cord cut. The Word flesh has to be potty trained. The Word made flesh has to breastfeed. The Word made flesh has to fall down and skin its knees. And the Word made flesh could have any natural father. And here's a father that has every opportunity to be cut free and let go. And God sends an angel from the throne and says, no, I want you to be the dad. Now, we don't ever think about that. 
Joseph was just as selected to be the natural uh, uh, earthly father as Mary was. Now, the Catholics make a, a God out of Mary. In fact, you know, there's no hell Joseph pass in football. It's just the hell Mary. There's no hell Joseph prayers in the Catholic vernacular. They make a goddess out of Mary. But nobody ever stops to realize that God could have let anybody be the natural father. And when there's a legal opportunity for Joseph to be cut free, so to speak, the angel says, no, do not be afraid to take this woman to be your wife. Do not be afraid to be the father to this baby boy. That's powerful. Because the Bible first introduces us by saying he was a just man, holy, upright, a keeper of the law of God. That's what we as men ought to aspire to be. Men who aspire to keep the word of God, to make decisions based on the word of God, to do that which is honorable, holy, and venerable in every decision of life. Fear not to take unto thee Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I like that because the angel gives Joseph the authority to name God. You will call his name Joseph, and he shall save his people from their sins. Joseph was told what to name the baby. God wanted Joseph to be the earthly father, nobody else. Come over to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at some other points about Joseph. Luke chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, the thing I see here is that Joseph obeyed taxation laws because he wasn't a lawless man. He didn't just obey the laws of God. He obeyed the laws of the governors and Caesar. He was not a rebel rouser. He was a lawful man. This is critical because if the son of God is going to figure out who he is, he has to be trained. He's given a mother and a father for a reason. Jesus Christ must fulfill the whole of the law, which says honor your mother and father, honor the governors and kings. And Joseph is already a living example of this to the Christ child. Even in every step of the way, every, every, every revelation, every scripture that reveals us something into Joseph's character, it all has to do with how much he is a keeper of the word of God, an abider of the laws of heaven. He's not a deadbeat dad. He's not a no-show dad. He's, he, he's not an illegitimate dad. He is there in every step demonstrating the commandments of the same God who he's about to raise. It's, it's such a mystery in your mind that the God I have worshipped and served from my childhood, I am now responsible for raising as a baby. And what more can I do but to teach him the law that he gave Moses? This is the mystery of salvation. It's the mystery of the, the virgin birth. It's the mystery of the word made flesh. And so he keeps the law and he goes to be taxed. In verse 21, in the same chapter, it says, And when eight days were accomplished of, for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. We see again, Joseph is keeping the law of God. 
He doesn't just have this baby and then do whatever he wants to like many Christians do. He keeps the law of God. Verse 22, And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Joseph presents Jesus to the Lord in the temple at Jerusalem according to the law. He's fulfilling all the scriptures that must be fulfilled if you're going to be a devout Jew and a servant of God Almighty. Verse 23 says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They presented the male childs because they were consecrated to the Lord. This was a Jewish law that the first child, if it was a male, was special to God and you were to come and present them. They did all of this because Joseph obeyed the word of God. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now this is a sacrifice in thanksgiving for the child that's been given. Now here's what I find interesting. The law commands <clears throat> sheep or goats if you can afford it. And evidently they couldn't. So if they could not provide a sheep or a lamb, they were allowed to do two turtle doves. This lets us know that Jesus was born to a poorer class family. That Joseph was not selected because he was rich. He was not selected because he was highly educated. He was selected because he was holy. He was just and he feared God with all of his household. And it reminds me of what the Lord said about Abraham. He said when he visited Abraham there in the plains of overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, can I hide this from Abraham knowing that he will raise his children to fear and honor me before he ever had children? God knew in advance how Joseph would do. That gets into the foreknowledge of God, which sometimes weirds us out. It almost makes me sometimes wonder how much of the time we're selected because God knows in advance how well we'll do and how well we won't. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And so we see he's offering a, Joseph offered a sacrifice according to the law of God. He presented Jesus to the Lord according to the law of God. He circumcised him the eighth day according to the law of God. He obeyed the taxations of Caesar according to the law of God. This is a just man. Come back to Matthew. Matthew. All of this that we've just read happens before the wise men ever show up. Here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. We know that Herod wants to know when they saw the star so he could know approximately how old this baby is because he fears for his kingdom. And we know he's going to plot to kill all the babies that age and under that he might have a clean slate and not have to lose his kingship or his kingdom. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. It's not an infant anymore. A couple years ago, I pointed out the three wise men did not show up the same night the shepherds did. They was probably at least 18 months to two years apart. The word here is not infant, it's young child. So Jesus is older now. He's a toddler. 
And when you have found him, bring me word again that I might come and worship him also. We know that's a lie. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was, not the infant in the manger. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, this is where it gets so wonderful. Joseph, again, he had the opportunity for God to let him go and let another young man or an older man come along and be the, 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 the adoptive father to Jesus. But the Lord wanted this man to raise his son. And we begin to see why. Not only have we seen him obedient to the laws of God, we see him now begin to be obedient to supernatural visitations and dreams. What God needed in a man of God was total obedience. That's what God is still looking for today. Well, what is God's definition of one good man? It's a man that will obey the law of God and the directions of God. That's what he needs out of any of us. Not only does God need men to be a good man, our wives need us to be a good man, not by the world's standard, but by God's standard. Our children need us as daddies to be that one good man that doesn't just teach them how to keep the law of God, but also will obey the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit. We as charismatics, Pentecostals, we know we're led by the word of God, but we're also led by the spirit of God. We have to be willing to do both. Charismatics tend to prefer the leadings of the Spirit of God because sometimes they're not always the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they're something else. But we also need to be doers of the Word of God. So he's warned of a dream, in a dream, by an angel saying, Arise and take the young child. This is the third time now it points out he's a young child. And his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word. Well, that means he has to drop his business. He has to explain to family, or maybe not, and just disappear. Based on a divine apparition, a divine appointment with an angel from heaven. And you know what Joseph does? He obeys God to preserve his wife and his child. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. They, they, they snuck out of town. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken out of the Lord by the, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Theologians debate how long they were down there. Some say a year. Some say as many as eight years. We don't know exactly how long they were in Egypt. His, history doesn't exactly nail it for us either. But we could probably say anywhere between one to maybe three or four years. They had to move and live in a foreign country and be Jews out of Israel. Not convenient. What God is looking for today is men that will be like Joseph and lead their families into inconvenient places when God requires it of you. One of the things the Lord doesn't want you to do is to live and lead as Americans. He wants you to live and lead as Christians. That's the calling. That, that's the life's testimony of Joseph. This is why God ordained Joseph to be the father. 
because Jesus Christ needed somebody he could model his life after over and over again. All the laws of parenting from the Old Testament applied to Joseph, even though he's raising the Son of God. Amen. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked on the, on, of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts there from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Now think about this. Now they've reestablished their lives. I'm sure they've got some commerce going. They've got some new friends. They've probably got themselves settled into a nice little immigrant community. And now they're going to be inconvenienced. Uh, perhaps Jesus was beginning to speak Egyptian. He's not just learning Hebrew, but if he's interacting with local Egyptian kids, who knows how many languages he's speaking. This is rough on children. And yet what God needs is for men to make the obedient decisions to do the inconvenient things for the glory of the kingdom. And so God appears to Joseph, not Mary, because Joseph is the head of this house. And Joseph has been obedient twice now to divine appearances by angels in dreams. He's going to do it a third time. Saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose. He doesn't argue. He doesn't say, yeah, but our apartment, yeah, but our new friends, yeah, but we're part of the Rotary Club now, yeah, but, you know, we, we really enjoy fishing on the Nile. Have you seen the Nile? I mean, it's better than anything in Israel. He just arises and obeys. This is what God's looking for in men today. He arises, he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Couple, this is a couple weeks journey, not easy, but it just... It just passes over it like it's nothing in the scripture because when you decide to obey God, things work themselves out. But when he heard that uh, Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, this is evil King Herod's son, he was afraid to go there into Judea. That's Bethlehem, that's Jerusalem. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. Notice he's afraid, he wants to do what's right. God speaks to him again where to go and what to do. He turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So we see here, he obeys the law, he obeys the law, he obeys the law. He's going to teach Jesus how to obey the law. He's going to teach Jesus the law of God. He's going to teach Jesus, even as Deuteronomy says, that you're going to raise your children and talk to them about the commandments of God in the morning, in the evening, at the nighttime. We're looking for one good man. God found him in a lowly carpenter named Joseph who couldn't even afford the higher-end offering to atone for the son of God's birth into his own household. He had to go find two turtle doves. This is what God's looking for a holy, righteous, and just man that will do what God demands. Back to Luke, our last passage here. Luke chapter 2. One final example of what kind of man Joseph is. Our children will benefit when we as husbands live as Joseph. Our wives will benefit when we as husbands live as Joseph. Luke chapter 2. The thing I want us to see over and over and over again, God wanted Joseph 
to be the natural father, the adoptive father of the Son of God, because Joseph would live the Word of God in front of the Word of God. Our final example of that, the final demonstration of this in the life of Joseph, Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Why did they do that? The law of God required it. This was their lifestyle. They raised Jesus knowing about the Passover. Now let that just kind of settle on you. Every year of the child's life, he goes in to experience Passover. And yet, who is Jesus? He is the Passover. Now, we get into doctrinal debates when we figure out, was Christ the child ever not aware of who he was? Yet the Bible says he had to learn obedience through the things which he suffered. But I, I can, we can maybe pause and maybe just mentally visit that I, I personally believe that by his mom and dad being such holy, God-fearing, Bible-obeying parents, Jesus Christ began to understand who he was and began to, to see that this Passover thing is what I am. And year after year, his parents traveled from Nazareth, which is a far journey, to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And not just, it's not just a one-day thing. It's a festival. Weeks. But they did it. Not every Jew would, but they did to obey the law of God. We see another definition, another demonstration of Joseph being a God-fearing just man. We see exactly why God wanted this man to have this child. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. That's not a medical doctor. That's a scribe or a lawyer. Both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou dealt thus, or hast thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you have sought me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Jesus Christ is beginning to recognize, I believe, that it's not just Joseph who's his natural father. He has a heavenly father. He's yet a kid. And he's recognizing the potential on his life. Now, what that says to me as a dad with young children, if I bring my children to the house of God on a regular basis and I demonstrate the word of God and the commandments of God before them on a regular basis, they can begin to see as a child the things God has in store for them. But if I am flippant in my church attendance, if I'm flippant in my customs before God, my kids don't think it's important. They think everything else from Little League to ballet to gymnastics to cello is more important. And that becomes the dreams they chase and fulfill, and maybe to their own death. We're looking for Joseph. We're looking for a good man. 
Here's a man that did everything according to the law. Because how do you raise up the word made flesh? But you teach him how to live the law every day of his life. We know that Jesus Christ never sinned. He was the spotless sacrifice. And it is holy and completely due to the fact that he had godly parents raising him. Now this fits because this is Christmas and this is the time of year we want our children around us and our grandchildren around us for the warmth and the family and the Christmas tradition. But when it, the, the great scheme of things is, is more critical than that. It's not just about presents under the tree. It's not just about family coming in and grandkids and great-grandkids. It's about living the Word of God in front of them so they can figure out what their destiny is in their Savior. What God is looking for today is a few good men who will do the Word, live the Word, demonstrate the Word so the kids, the children will know, will know nothing but the law of God, the pr prosperity of God, the protection of God, the, 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 the presence of God. They'll be convinced of God. If you don't live that way in front of your children, you should repent and begin. We are by no means perfect children, our perfect parents to our children, but we do our best. And uh, a week ago, Lydia was sick. And um, she just had like a little stomach bug. She threw up a few times. And um, we prayed for her. And she took a nap and woke up feeling better. But she was still a little puny. We gave her the vegetable soup because we didn't want noodle soup. We didn't want to tempt the dragon with pizza or anything. You know, we already cleaned up one mess. Or really, mama cleaned up one mess. I stood back and dry heaved a little bit because <laughs> I don't have the mama grace. <laughs> and so Lydia gets up from her nap. And she's mad that she's sick. And she wakes up saying, I hate the devil. Why is this on me? Which is pretty good doctrine. I like that. Spunk in a six-year-old. Why am I sick? I hate this. Honey, sometimes it's just, it's just the devil. Sometimes it's, it's a bug or an infirmity. It's just a virus. It's just a little stomach bug. And she's having her little snack of crackers. She says, I want to know why I'm sick. And I said, well, honey, you're healed. We've laid hands on you. You're feeling better. She said, I want to know how it got on me. And I said, I don't know. She said, ask Jesus. He'll tell you. I'm doing the dishes trying to make up for the fact that I couldn't clean up puke. <laughs> trying to earn my, I'm redeeming myself. She says, go ahead, Daddy. Ask him. He will tell you why I, how I got sick. And now I'm on, I'm on spot because I know how this works and it ain't that fast. <laughs> but I'm dealing with childlike faith, which is certainly uh, a lot stronger than mine. And I said, you're right. She said, just ask Jesus. He'll tell you how I got sick. So Abzi comes around the island there. She says, yeah, Daddy, go to your puercia. Ask Jesus. He'll tell you. <laughs> now I have the mouth of two babes. Now, again, we're not perfect parents. But in that moment, my heart smiled because it let, them, let me know I'm living it. We're living it in front of them that this is how they think. Sickness is not right. It's not of God. And if daddy asks God, God will talk to daddy and we'll know. That really blesses me. It puts a lot of pressure on me too. So I went to my prayer chair because my three-year-old commanded it. And I sought God. I'm, I'm honored my children know I have a prayer chair. And they know what daddy does in that prayer chair. This is just me as a little sliver example of our lives. But this is, what, this is one of the reasons God selected Joseph. But the greatest thing, even if you don't have children, even if your children are grown, he, he, the man Joseph, did the law of God. He obeyed the law in everything. And that's what God is looking for. That's what makes you a good man. You keep the commandments of God. You obey him to the nth degree.
not, not to go to heaven. You obey God because you honor him and you fear him and you know it's going to protect and bless your life. That is the story of Joseph. I think it's a powerful testimony. It's, it's, he's part and parcel of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was the foundation. He and Mary. They got statues of Mary. You don't see so many statues of Joseph. We only see statues of Joseph this time of year, and he usually has a light bulb up his backside, and he's out there at the nativity. Other than that, we don't hear much about Joseph. But I think you'll agree after what we see tonight, you're going to look at Joseph differently from now on. Because God, he, when he had the opportunity to jump ship, God said, no, 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 no. You get back in that ship. I want you to be the adoptive father of my only begotten son. Amen.